This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question asks if I can talk about the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. So my thoughts on the case, my thoughts on the sentence, and this request we see for an early release. So of course, Gypsy Rose Blanchard and the other people I'll be discussing in this video are real people. So I'm not diagnosing anybody here, only speculating on what could be happening in a situation like this. Now I put these sources here for this video in the description for this video. And this case is relatively recent, so we don't see a lot of research articles about it or anything like that. So I'm not really thrilled with some of the sources we have, and a lot of them, of course, could be disputed, like individual statements that weren't corroborated. So it's a little shaky in terms of the timeline and what exactly happened, but in general, I think we have a pretty good idea of the circumstances of this case. Now, this case is unusual for a variety of reasons because it involves two highly unlikely events, potentially at least. One is Munchausen syndrome by proxy, otherwise known as factitious disorder imposed on another, the DSM-5. And the other is parasite, specifically a female perpetrator killing her mother. Both of these are really just occurrences we don't see very often in real life. So to have them come together in one case, again, highly unusual. So first I'm going to go through the timeline in this case and then take a look at the potential mental health personality, and human behavior aspects. Now, the timeline is relatively straightforward, but the mental health component here and the personality component is extremely complex. So, kind of an interesting dichotomy we see in this case. So, as I get to the timeline, I want to establish kind of who the key players are, kind of in this narrative. We see, obviously, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, whose real date of birth is July 27, 1991. And the reason I say it that way is because, as part of this case, we see a lot of different ages stated for Gypsy Rose Blanchard. We see that she was 23 at the time of the murder. Dee Dee Blanchard, her mother, was 48 at the time of the murder. And Nicholas Godijan, who was born in 1989, he was 26 at the time of the murder. So from the perspective of an outside observer, this case really started on June 14th, 2015. That evening, we see that sheriff deputies in Springfield, Missouri are called out to the house of Dee Dee Blanchard because of some Facebook posts that went out that were suspicious, and they went to her home eventually and found that she had been stabbed to death. The next day, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, her daughter, and Gypsy's boyfriend, Nicholas Godijan, were found in Wisconsin and they were taken into custody, and eventually they confessed to the murder of D.D. D. Blanchard. Now, to put this in perspective, we have to go back in time a little bit to look at potentially this Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which could have played a part in this murder. So we go back many years when Gypsy Rose Blanchard was just three months of age. We see that Dee Dee claimed she stopped breathing. So Dee Dee claimed that Gypsy Rose Blanchard stopped breathing and took her to the hospital, and we see that this really was the beginning of many trips to physicians. Dee Dee claimed that Gypsy Rose had many medical conditions like muscular dystrophy, leukemia, asthma, vision and hearing problems, and seizures. But the physicians could never find anything wrong. But Dee Dee kept insisting something was wrong. And physicians noted that Gypsy Rose never spoke 
during these appointments. Now, it seems like the physician should have caught on at some point, and one more or less did, but Dee Dee used some tactics I'll talk about in a moment to help her avoid being caught in terms of her behavior here. So we see that Dee Dee kept inventing more medical issues and became more involved in caring for Gypsy's conditions, as Dee Dee would label them. And we see that many of the medical records during Hurricane Katrina were actually lost, so Dee Dee was able to use this to her advantage to explain why Gypsy didn't have medical records. Also, Dee Dee kept changing physicians and gave medications to Gypsy Rose that mimicked the symptoms of the illnesses that she said that Gypsy had. She also shaved her head to make it seem like she had been administered chemotherapy. So again, she used a variety of tactics to avoid being identified as somebody who could have Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Now, as a consequence of Dee Dee's behavior, other than the obvious abuse of Gypsy Rose, we see that Dee Dee had a lot of attention paid to her, both in Louisiana and eventually in Missouri. She was recognized by the media. Habitat for Humanity built them a small home in Missouri. We saw a number of charitable contributions, free flights to see physicians, trips to Disney World. So a lot of attention was being paid. And this becomes more important in a few moments when I describe Munchausen syndrome in a little more detail. Now, I mentioned before that one physician did seem to catch on that there could be Munchausen syndrome in this case, but Dee Dee managed to gain access to his medical notes and stop taking Gypsy to see him. So again, we see these tactics at work, these tactics to evade being caught for this assault. Now, I mentioned before with some of the sources of information, the story isn't always clear, and the next part here is when I think things are a little less clear, because they're based on just one person saying this, or maybe just a couple, and the statements don't match up. But either way, it appears that Gypsy Rose Blanchard made several efforts to break away during this time she was being abused. She attempted to develop relationships outside of her mother, and maybe even escape. And evidently, she was threatened. One time she reports that she ran away, and she was caught within a few hours, and handcuffed by Dee Dee Blanchard to a bed for two weeks. Now, she was also led to believe that if she attempted to go to the police, they would not believe her. And I think this is a really important point in this case, especially as we talk about the sentencing that occurs later on. Now, in 2012, Gypsy made contact with Nicholas Godichon, and he had a criminal record for indecent exposure and a history of mental illness. At the time, it wasn't really clear what was going on. Later on, we find out that it was probably autism spectrum disorder. But either way, she makes contact in 2012 online, and they develop kind of a romantic interest. Now, a little later on, Gypsy arranged for Godijan to come to Springfield, Missouri, where Dee Dee and Gypsy lived. And she was really trying to arrange the situation where they kind of met in public, and she could then kind of have a way to bring this guy into her life in terms of a relationship with her mother. This didn't really go as planned. She did end up meeting with him, and evidently they had sex. At that time, she really found him undesirable, and later on, allegedly described him as creepy. However, even with this in mind, she continued to have interactions with him and started developing a plan to kill her mother. Now, the reason I think this is important is because this kind of speaks to premeditation and maybe a little bit of manipulation going on, right? She didn't really seem that interested in him at this point, but still moved forward with this plot of murder. Now, eventually, and we're moving back up here to June of 2015, Godijan comes to the Blanchard house, and Gypsy provides him with duct tape, gloves, and a knife, and he murders Dee Dee Blanchard. And, of course, we believe that soon after that, her body was discovered by the police. Now, we see that Godijan stabbed Dee Dee Blanchard several times in her sleep. 
and Godijan and Gypsy Rose Blanchard took $4,400 and then fled eventually to Wisconsin. So I mentioned that before, fleeing to Wisconsin, and of course they confessed, and this brings us full circle and kind of closes the loop on this case. Now, in July of 2016, Gypsy Rose Blanchard accepted a plea agreement, and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison, so roughly a year, a little more than a year after the murder. She was sentenced. The trial for Nicholas Godichon took place in November 2018. He was found guilty of first-degree murder. The prosecutor said he had planned the crime for more than a year. The lawyers pointed out the diminished capacity that was possible with the autism and the fact that he was love-struck. But of course, looking back at the prosecution's case, they had the confession. So of course, he was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, Gypsy Rose Blanchard did testify in Nicholas Godichon's trial. And I thought there was a particularly interesting piece there with this, where she indicated that she had suggested to go to John that he killed Dee Dee, so she admitted that she was part of the murder plot. But she also had considered trying to get pregnant by Nicholas Godijan, and then that would maybe make it so that Dee Dee would have to accept him. So in a sense, she had developed another plan. So there was this plan of murder, but then this plan of pregnancy as well. Now, she did indicate that Godijan never told her what he thought about the pregnancy plan, but I think what's important here is that there was an alternative in her mind other than murder. So now in terms of my thoughts on this case, this is a highly unusual case I mentioned before. It's a parasite and also the Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And I think we need to take a look at that disorder and see how it lines up with the behavior of Dee Dee Blanchard. It is important to remember here that no one can diagnose her. She was murdered, so we don't really know if she had the syndrome or not. I'm just really looking at the nature of the syndrome and comparing it to the behavior of Dee Dee. So we see here that Munchausen syndrome by proxy, factitious disorder imposed on another, is the technical name, the proper name. This is a rare disorder that is defined by several criteria. The perpetrator, usually the parent or another caregiver, intentionally induces, falsifies, or exaggerates manifestations of physical or mental health symptoms in another person, a person that would be under his or her care. So the individual presents another as ill, impaired, or injured, and has no obvious external incentives. So this isn't done for money. This is done for some sort of internal gratification. So this is kind of interesting because this is an important feature of this particular disorder. So we see that Munchausen syndrome is really a form of abuse in which the perpetrator deceives healthcare providers for months or even years with false information. And they expose the victim, usually a child, to unnecessary risks and painful diagnostic, therapeutic, or surgical procedures. The mortality risk for the victim of Munchausen syndrome, so not the person who has the disorder, that's the caregiver, but the victim of the person who has the disorder, their mortality risk is 10%. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, 
But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So 10% of the victims involved in these type of cases die. I think this is an important statistic because it shows that Gypsy Rose Blanchard was in real danger. This wasn't like a mild form of abuse. This could have killed her. Dee Dee's behavior could have resulted in Gypsy Rose Blanchard's death. So looking at some of the common characteristics that we see with Munchausen and then kind of comparing it to this case. The typical individual who has this disorder would be the biological mother of the victim. This is the case in 90% of Munchausen diagnoses. We see that the perpetrators in these cases, Munchausen syndrome, they usually present as an overly attentive or attached parent who refuses to leave the child. So they seem like they're loyal to the child and they're defending the child. But in private, we see that they're distant and uncaring toward the child. Now this seems consistent with the facts that we see in this case, or what we believe could be the facts in this case. Another kind of typical characteristic of Munchausen is pathological lying and telling exaggerated stories regarding past family events. That could have happened here. We see that an individual has extensive knowledge of medical terminology and procedures and might refuse to accept a non-medical diagnosis. That appears to be clear here. Also, the person with the syndrome appears to be receptive and might even take pleasure from a child receiving painful and invasive treatments. We see that individuals with this disorder provide vague and inconsistent information regarding the child's medical history. That seems pretty clear. They sometimes tamper with labs and equipment, and they undermine clinician attempts to collect medical records. So that's interesting because you might remember before talking about Dee Dee's behavior where she got a hold of those notes and then stopped taking Gypsy Rose Blanchard to see that particular physician. So a lot of the kind of typical features we see with Munchausen by proxy syndrome seem to be apparent in the situation here with Dee Dee Blanchard. One other point worth noting when talking specifically about factitious disorder imposed on another, there is no known effective treatment for this disorder. Mental health counselors attempt to treat it, but we don't have a really good treatment protocol for it at this time. So with all this in mind, we really have a lot of questions here. And I think these questions really need to be answered in order to give really cohesive and informative thoughts on this. And I'm going to go through a few, I think, key questions. Did Gypsy Rose Blanchard plan the murder? It appears like she did. This murder did appear to be premeditated. I think it's reasonable to say that it was, including specifically on her part. Now, another important question to ask here is, was she trapped or did she believe she was trapped? Did she believe that she didn't have any escape options? Now, specifically, did she believe that she had no recourse to law enforcement? And again, there's evidence to support that she did believe that. She believed that she went to the police. They wouldn't believe her based on what Dee Dee had told her. We would also want to know, did she feel as though she was truly out of options? Now, this may seem a lot like that first question, did she believe she was trapped or not? But here we do see that she talks about other options to escape, ones that didn't involve murder. So in one sense, she may have felt trapped, but she may have understood there were options that didn't involve killing her mother. Now, some people have asked me, why didn't she just flee? Nicholas Godigen and Gypsy Rose Blanchard fled to Wisconsin. Why didn't they just do that in the first place? Well, I think the fear there would have been that Dee Dee would have found them, and then, of course, Gypsy Rose would have been punished. So at that time, 
Gypsy Rose may have believed she really only had one option. Even though she knew there were other options, maybe she thought those options weren't realistic. So this gets a little bit tricky to figure out because, again, she discusses other specific options, or at least that one other specific option, which is potentially getting pregnant. But she really doesn't explore that, so it's hard to tell what her state of mind was. Did she really appreciate those as realistic options, or was she just throwing out different ideas in an effort to escape? The next question as we consider kind of the mental health personality and human behavior aspects here would be, did she believe she was in imminent danger at the time of the murder? And here, this is not as clear. It doesn't appear like at that moment when Dee Dee was murdered, she was a threat to Gypsy Rose Blanchard. So this kind of works against her. But it's important to note here that sometimes when people are slowly hurting other people, this is viewed much differently than if they're quickly hurting people. We know that both types of harm are morally wrong and legally wrong. Yet sometimes, if there's not a really immediate danger, then we see that juries aren't too sympathetic and the public isn't too sympathetic. But I don't really see a huge distinction in terms of how wrong it is when we look at slowly harming somebody over many years and quickly harming somebody. So I think a case could be made that, yes, she wasn't in imminent danger, but she did feel in danger in general. The next question would be, did the abuse that she endured over many years distort her understanding of the consequences of her behavior, or did it really distort her understanding of right or wrong? And I'm not sure I have the answer to this question. I'm not sure I have the answer to any of these questions, but this one's particularly murky. The next question would be, is she an ongoing threat to society? Hard to know, but it doesn't seem like she poses much of a danger to society in general. Of course, she did pose a danger to her mother specifically. And the last question here, how many people can really understand what she went through? Do we really understand the effects this has on people? Again, it's a rare disorder. And I think the answer is not many people would understand, and we don't really understand the effects of Munchausen syndrome on somebody. We don't know what this does to somebody in terms of their mental state. So with all this in mind, the facts of the case, the nature of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, the different questions that are somewhat answered but maybe not completely answered. I'm really torn on this case. We're trying to balance compassion versus law and order, right? We want to have compassion for people. We want to understand the circumstances they've been through, but we don't want a society where people are just committing crimes and murdering other people just whenever they feel like it. So these are the factors that really kind of pull me in both directions. I really wish I had more evidence and more reliable evidence here in this case. But either way, trying to break this down based on the evidence we do have. If we look at the sentence, this was based on a plea agreement, as I mentioned before, and she received the minimum sentence for second-degree murder, which was 10 years, and she could be out in eight and a half years. The alternative was life in prison. Now, the prosecutor seemed to believe he could get a conviction of first-degree murder, and really he was kind of indicating that he was being merciful based on the facts of this case by offering this plea agreement. Was that realistic? Could he really have obtained a first-degree murder conviction in this case? There would have certainly been weeks of testimony about all the abuse that Gypsy Rose suffered. Well, we'll never know now, and really with trials, you never know what's going to happen. So there was a possibility she could have been convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. So that's important to keep in mind with this plea agreement. We want to make sure that people understand that murder is not an option. And I think that's really what this penalty kind of expresses. It understands that there were extenuating circumstances, but it says we just can't have people going around and murdering people, as I indicated before. And I think that's the balance that was struck here in this particular case. Overall, based on the evidence we have here, I think this sentence was fair. If it were shortened, if the sentence were commuted, I would be okay with that too. I think that's reasonable, especially if mental health treatment was a part of the terms of release to make sure that she doesn't represent a threat to society. 
I think overall that Gypsy Rose Blanchard does deserve the benefit of the doubt in this case. We don't know the effects of this horrible abuse. This abuse happened over the course of years. As I mentioned, could have been life-threatening. So I'm inclined to say that she probably deserves mercy in this case. Now, there are people working to try to get her sentence commuted, including her father. We'll have to see what happens. But she's already served part of her sentence. Again, she was sentenced in 2016, and she could be out in as little as eight and a half years, as I mentioned before. So a very difficult case. I really thought about this case for a long time and couldn't come to any clear conclusion. But with all the abuse taken into account, I do think that the 10-year sentence was fair, or even a shorter sentence, I think, could have still been fairly close to fair. But everyone, I think, in this case really struggles to figure this out because of, again, just all these extenuating circumstances and this horrible and heinous abuse that occurred. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.